Hi there, I'm Mark from Intercom, and you're listening to Intercom on Product Management. Episode 3, When to Say No to New Features. When it comes to your existing product and feature set, there's only a finite amount of improvements you can make. At some point, you'll have to consider what new features make sense for your product and how you're going to introduce them. Facebook famously faced down a revolt from some of its earliest and most loyal college users when it introduced the newsfeed. But would it have ever seen the kind of global adoption it enjoyed if it hadn't faced down those users and shown them the value of the new features? In this episode, we'll talk about creating a product roadmap with a formula for predicting where your efforts are best placed. But perhaps most importantly for product managers, you'll learn why saying no is the most important word in your vocabulary and why you should hear yourself saying it a lot. New features expand the scope of your product, often making a big marketing splash, getting a version bump, and resulting in some press coverage. Often the fanfare attracts new customers and new use cases. And typically, new features are the only improvements that outsiders, folks who aren't your customers, will ever hear about. New features are risky, and you have to be very confident they'll be valued. They're like children. You have to support them no matter what. And if you ask your customers if they'd like a calendar or a time tracker or a Gantt chart, they're always going to reply with a yes. And why wouldn't they? It's a one-way, something-for-nothing offer. They haven't had to make a trade-off between competing priorities, but this leads to customers saying they want stuff that they actually don't. Ask your customers, would you rather we make the product much faster or that we added more labeling features? And you'll get a different answer. Everybody values speed, so when planning new features, it's important to understand the trade-offs at play. If you're going to build new features, then you need to get them on a product roadmap. And a roadmap is built out of hard decisions. The bugs you have to fix will fight with the features you have to finish. Meanwhile, the features your customers want will compete with the ones you know they actually need. If you focus only on new features, you build a product that's miles wide and inches deep. And if you focus only on repairs, then you'll never innovate. And you'll find yourself becoming irrelevant. Again, a product roadmap is built out of hard decisions. When you're focusing on improving your product, a great question to ask is this. Where do we suck and where does it matter? To improve a product, you focus on the parts that are both important and disappointing to customers. Both are necessary. Otherwise, you'll end up working on areas that no one cares about, or you'll be over-serving areas where you're already good enough. In his popular article, Turning Customer Input into Innovation, Tony Ulwick, founder of the innovation consulting firm Stratagen, puts forward an opportunity algorithm. It's really a practical way to plan a roadmap, taking importance and satisfaction into account. Ulwick's algorithm cleanly highlights the shortcomings in a product by getting customers to rank the jobs they need to do by how important they are and how satisfied the customers are currently. The opportunity is then simply expressed as an equation, importance plus the difference of importance minus satisfaction. Aside from the simplicity of the formula, another nice trait is how it can highlight opportunities that would otherwise go unnoticed. Very often, the biggest opportunities lie in areas the product manager will call complete or bug-free or good enough. Put simply, a minor improvement on an important task is always a larger opportunity than a big improvement on a supplementary one. Here's where the 80-20 school of thought can get a product manager into trouble. The idea that 20% of the features will get you 80% of the value may be correct, but it also means that on important tasks, you're giving your customers a B-grade experience where it matters most. This point was made by Mark Zuckerberg when reflecting on the early days of Facebook. You just can't 80-20 everything, Zuckerberg says. There have to be certain things that you're the best at. 
Things where you go way further than anyone else does, where you establish the quality bar and have your product be the best thing that's out there. There's no right way to prioritize a roadmap, but there are plenty of wrong ones. If there are opportunities in existing product areas and your roadmap ignores them in favor of new features, then you'll soon be the jack-of-all-jobs product. You need to address your product's shortcomings or somebody else will. Product managers or founders doubling in that role have to be great at saying no, not maybe or later. The only word is no. Building a great product isn't about creating tons of carefully planned, useful features that are only slightly connected. It's about delivering a cohesive product within well-defined parameters. When your product gets traction, you'll find yourself flooded with good ideas for features. These will come from your customers or your colleagues and, of course, yourself. And because they're good ideas, there's always going to be lots of reasons to say yes to them, but you have to push back. So let's break down 12 common arguments that are used to sneak features into a product. One, but the data looks good. At some point, you'll hear a colleague say, we've tried this feature with a small group and the engagement is off the charts. This approach suffers from selective data analysis. Products are complex systems and what appears to be an increase in engagement is really just pushing numbers around from place to place. You might consider your label feature a success based on its usage, but did you notice that your tags feature is suddenly no longer popular? Even when the data is solid and the increase in engagement is good, you still have to question whether it fits within the scope of the product. Add Tetris to your product and you'll probably see a boost in engagement, but does that mean your product is better? I don't think so. Two, but it'll only take a few minutes. The main problem with this argument is that the scope of work should never be a reason to include a feature into a product. Maybe it's a reason to bump it up the roadmap as a quick win, but that's a roadmap decision, not a product one. Lots of bad ideas can be built quickly, but don't get seduced. There are no small changes. Even the tiniest additions add hidden complexity, and that is never accounted for in the but it's just five minutes estimate. Three, but the customer is about to quit. This is feature blackmail. No customer can be more important than a good product. The road to consulting wear is signposted with just this once for just this customer. It leads to the perfect product for just one customer. And even then, their loyalty now depends on you doing what they say. Delivering extra value to one customer comes at the cost of taking value away from many, many others. Four, but just make it optional. This leads to death by preferences. Making features optional may hide the complexity from the default screens in the interface, but it still services everywhere else. The visible cost of this is a messy interface with lots of conditional design and heaps of configuration. The hidden cost is that every optional feature weakens your product definition. You become a time tracker that can also send invoices and sort of do payment reconciliation, but not reporting yet, I think. I don't know. Five, but my cousin's neighbor said, this is the appeal to the anecdote. It's rife in consumer products and in SaaS. It's companies that can't decide what precise jobs they actually do. Extrapolating from a tiny sample is an easy way to bypass years of experience, research, data, and behavior to make a statement that sounds reasonable. Saying, my brother's company uses Google Analytics and they have all the advanced segments is, yes, an easy way to make a case for advanced segments, but it bypasses key questions like, what does your product actually do? Is your brother's company actually a good target customer? Do they actually use it or do they just say they do? Are advanced segments actually the right solution for what your customers are trying to do? Probably not. Six, 
but we have nothing else planned. The devil makes work for idle product teams, and boy does he come up with some shitty features. Someone sees one or more engineers sitting idle and immediately rushes through a new feature to keep them busy. Decisions are rushed, designs are cobbled together, and all in the name of avoiding idle time. This is a bad way to improve a product. Instead of adding technical debt in this situation, there's an opportunity to pay some off. As anyone who's ever worked in a professional kitchen knows, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. Idle time is best used for fixing bugs, cleaning up test suites, refactoring, etc. Rather than derailing a product vision just to keep the team productive. 7. But we're supposed to be allowed to work on whatever we want. This argument appeals to cultural pride. There are many big-name companies that promise engineers they can build whatever they want and ship it. Usually this promise has one of two outcomes. One is that it's a lie told to attract engineers. This is noticed quickly and falls apart even faster. You can't fake culture. The second is that it's true, and the result here is a one-size-fits-none product full of half-baked ideas. There's a difference between encouraging engineers to build things internally, which is a good thing, and letting people add features to a product bypassing product management. That's a bad thing. Eight, but 713,000 people want it. Always be aware when someone falls back to raw numbers to justify something. Any product with any amount of traction can make an emotive claim using numbers. Things like, you could fill all of San Francisco's Dolores Park with the people who've asked for an Excel integration. A claim like this forces you to take off your product design hat and be one of the people. Are you really going to say no to all those faces? Well, here's the thing. You have to, because the majority of your users will suffer if you don't. The question isn't, could we fill Dolores Park with people who want this feature? It should be, is this a valuable feature within our purview that all our customers will use? Nine, but our competitors already have it. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. It could be something they're trying out. It could be a shit idea. Or it could be something they're planning on killing. It's a mistake to assume that your competitors are in any way smarter or more tactical than you. Obsessing about your competitors' features relegates you to permanently delivering yesterday's technology tomorrow. 10. But if we don't build it, someone else will. That doesn't mean it should be in your product. If someone else builds it, do customers no longer need your product? Will they all switch over? Simply saying someone else will sounds good, but it means nothing. We've all caught ourselves saying it as well. Often it's logic used to expand a product because you're not willing to admit your product stops somewhere. You're afraid to draw the line. Here's a good example. A typical date might involve a movie, dinner, and then a lift home. If a cinema owner is constantly worrying about what other businesses will build and hungry to capture more value, he'll put a restaurant into the cinema and start a cab company. Then he'll be weak at all three. Then restaurants will start screening movies, and I mean, you get the idea. 11. But the boss really wants it. If the boss is also a product manager and has the necessary time and insight to make smart, holistic decisions, then that's fine. But if someone is trying to earn brownie points by focusing on pet projects that their manager has a penchant for, this inevitably leads to trouble. 12. But this could be the one. This is a classic appeal to the unknown. Editing a product requires some hard decisions about what to build. You can speculate that any unbuilt feature could transform your product, but speculation is all it is, nothing more. When you're afraid to make hard decisions, you fall back on appealing to the unknown and therefore building everything. You end up with a repository of features, not a product. So after all of this, why is no important? The thing is, no one keeps crap ideas in their roadmap. Finding and killing the bad ideas is the easy bit. 
real product decisions aren't easy. They require you to look at a proposal and say, yeah, this is a really great idea. I can see why the customers would like it. Great job, but we're not going to build it. Instead, here's what we're doing. The bottom line is this. There are no small changes. So let's play this out with a simple example. Say a colleague comes to you and says, we want to limit the length of a text review in the product to 140 characters because we may want to use SMS to send this out at some stage. That's a small change, right? Wrong. There are no small changes when you're committed to delivering great quality software. A naive programmer might get this review length feature coded in three minutes. I mean, after all, it's just an if statement. But product management is never that simple. Before you embark on any small changes to your product, you need to ask some questions. So sticking to our review length example, let's start with some easy ones. What happens when the review is above 140 characters? Do we crop the string or display an error message to the user? If we display an error, where does it appear? What does it say? Who's going to write the error message? How do we explain to the user why we're limiting them to 140 characters? What will these errors look like? Do we have a style defined? If not, who's designing it? I mean, in the unlikely event that you have answers for all of those initial concerns, you're still not finished. Just doing the server side is a messy way to handle an error. We should do this on the client side. But if we're going to do client side validation, then that throws up a few more questions. Who's writing the JavaScript? Does the JavaScript display the same type of error as the server side code? If not, what's the new style? How does it behave without JavaScript? How do we ensure that any future update to the 140 character requirement impacts both client side and server side validation? I mean, we're still not done. Look at this from the user's point of view. They're already frustrated by having to limit their review to 140 characters for a bizarre reason they won't understand. And now we're asking them to guess how long their message is. I mean, there must be a better way. Let's give them a character counter. Well, that raises a few more questions. Who's going to write the character counter? If we're using one found on the net, who wants to test it on all our targeted browsers? Also, where's the count of the letters displayed on the screen? What does the count look like? Of course the style should change as the user approaches zero characters and should definitely look erroneous when they've used more than 140 characters. Or should it stop accepting input at that point? If so, what happens when they paste something in? Should we let them edit it down or alert them? When we've implemented the character counter, styled all the errors, implemented the server-side validations and checked in all of our supported browsers, then it's just a case of writing tests and it'll be deployed. Assuming your time to production is solid, this bit will be pretty straightforward. All of this happily ignores the fact that your users will still wonder why the dude above them wrote an 80-word review and now they're only allowed to write a 140-character one. Obviously, we'll need to keep support in the loop on this and update our documentation, our API, and our iPhone and Android apps. Also, what do we do with all the previous reviews? Should we crop them or leave them as is? Don't even get me started on how we're going to deal with all the emoji that people use these days. Good luck sending them in a text message. We'll probably need to sanitize the input string of rogue characters. And this means new error messages, new service site code. I mean, the list goes on. Once you get through all of this, you'll have your feature in place. And this is just for a character count. Now try something that's more complex than an if statement. There are no tiny features when you're doing things right. This is why, as a product manager, you need a good understanding of what it takes to implement a feature before you nod your head and add it to the roadmap. When the big picture isn't considered, often what seems like a two-minute job can turn into a two-hour job. And features that seemed like good value at two minutes are rightfully out of scope at two hours. The key point is this. Scope grows in minutes, not months. Look after the minutes and the months take care of themselves. Agreeing to features is deceptively easy. Coding them rarely is, and maintaining them can be a nightmare. 
When you're striving for quality, there are no small changes. And just as there's no small changes, there's nothing in software that comes for free. Often you'll hear that you get something for free. A statement like, the framework just gives us this for free. Or if we use X service provider, we get Y for free. Or your developers will tell you, we're building this bit anyway, so we get this extra piece for free. Again, nothing is free in software. It's not free because you're actually sitting there and talking about it. You're debating if you should do it. For starters, that's costing you time. It's also not free to do it or verifying that it was done right. Does it work? Are all the edge cases workable? QA is never free. It's not free when you have to communicate that you're doing it. If you add a feature, you have to tell your team, tell customer support, then tell your customers. Otherwise, it's definitely pointless. Communication is never free. It's not free to carry it forward. Once it's there, you'll have to support queries from your customers. You'll have docs, how-tos, videos, all needing to be updated. That's not free to undo. Maintenance is never free. Think of these features like house pets. I mean, Craigslist is full of free pets, yet you're not stocking up your house for a very simple reason. There's a big difference between the retail price and the cost of ownership. And that's why saying no is the most important tool any product manager has. This has been Intercom on Product Management.